0: Josh Friedemann. If you're listening to this podcast and you are a leader, I'm guessing that you are pretty good with strategy. If you're not, then this is a great place to be. But assuming that you are, what is it that most often gets between your strategy and the results that you want from that strategy? Today, we're going to be talking about one key word that our guest specifically likes to focus on in his work. And that word is execution. In fact, he's developed a three-part framework that includes strategy, execution, and results called the SXR Framework. We're going to get to a little bit more about him and his framework in just a second, but first... It's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at LeadershipActionList.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to LeadershipActionList.com. Our guest today is a world-renowned business consultant, speaker, trainer, and executive coach. As the founder of Whitewater International Consulting, he's worked internationally with companies such as Disney, Nucor Steel, FedEx, and Nestle Waters of North America, Perrier Group of America. With more than two decades of industry experience, he's highly regarded for his ability to guide organizations through complex transformational change in what he describes as a world of perpetual whitewater. His new book is called Get In Gear, Seven Gears That Drive Strategy to Results. Here is Sean Ryan. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Josh, thanks for having me today. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So, you ready for these? Sure. Fire away. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day?
1: I think the idea that the thinking that I have, the mental models, the the underlying perceptions of beliefs that I have, have more influence over the outcomes that I achieve as a leader than some of the specific actions that I take. And, And so that idea that Challenging my own assumptions and beliefs, uh, putting myself in a space where I can inquire into what other people think and why they think so that I can get their perspective, learn from that actually makes me a fundamentally much better leader than I would be if I just tried to do some stuff better, coach somebody better, if you will.
0: Use three descriptors to finish this sentence A leader is
1: caring honest, trustworthy.
0: What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others?
1: They should be constantly asking themselves how's their thinking, their mental models, their, their assumptions, beliefs, perceptions. How does that shape their reality and either limit or expand the options they give themselves for how they might act as a leader?
0: What's a book that you would recommend to leaders?
1: One I was talking with a group about earlier today, it's a book, in Influencers, by Kerry Patterson and a group of other people. Kerry and the team looked at people who were exceptionally great at driving individual change and identified the things that distinguish people who are really good at influencing change from people that are maybe a little bit more mortal and they captured that in influencers and i i think about all of the change that we all have to deal with on a day in and day out basis in our organizational lives the ability to change the ability to adapt is just absolutely paramount and the, the leaders who can foster change better in their organizations and with the individuals on their teams are ultimately going to be more successful so i think influencers has some content in it that is super helpful in the world that we live in today.
0: If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be?
1: Broadly, it would be create better focus and alignment on what they and their teams need to do to deliver better results. And then if I had to break it down to one behavioral thing, and, and we talk about this in the book get in gear. It's this concept that we call this game we call playing five on five, where leaders write down their top five goals or expectations for each of their team members, and then the team members write down what they think their top five expectations or goals are, and then you match the lists. Typically, two out of five actually match, which means 40% of the time people are working on stuff that their bosses think they're supposed to be working on. 60%, it's a bit of a crapshoot. They may or may not be. So if we want to create more focus and alignment to deliver better results, that is a really simple exercise or, or game to play to see how well focused and aligned we are versus how far apart we might be.
0: I like that. I don't know if I've ever heard of that approach before. It's super simple, though. Obviously, something that can create a lot of clarity for you and your team. Now, we have this final arbitrary but insightful question, and it is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? That's a great question. Can I go with both? I like to have people just come up with one or the other, but if you can provide good rationale for both, I'll accept it, but I'm not as happy if you give us both. It's too too easy that way.
1: Okay. Why is is a great question to understand literally why do we do things? What What's the reason that we do this? Is there something that I don't know or something that I need to understand better than I understand today before we start making changes? On the other hand, why not is the great question at punching through barriers, mental barriers that we may create for ourselves and, and challenge the fundamental status quo. Why can't we do it that way? Why not be the best that we possibly can be? So I opt for both.
0: Well, Sean, we're here today to discuss your new book, Get In Gear, The Seven Gears That Drive Strategy to Results. And I have the book right here in front of me. And at the very top of your book, you have strategy on one side, results on the other. And in the middle, there is this execution piece. So could you talk a little bit about your book, what its focus is, and the importance of execution?
1: Absolutely. So let's start about what the book is about. What we've noticed and what is incredibly well-documented in the literature is the gap between the strategy most organizations have and their ability to actually generate the results that they expect. 75 to 90% of organizations out there come up short of driving strategy to the results that they want. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important for any number of reasons. Let's go most importantly, which is we all live in a highly competitive, highly changeable world. When we've got the opportunity to execute well, that does several things. First of all, it creates benefits for our customers when we say, look, here's, here's what's going to make us unique and different. Here's our strategy. Here's our position. Here's, here's how we want to create value for our customers. When we actually execute on that and deliver that, then our customers are better off. More importantly, or at least as importantly, when we deliver on what our customers expect, then as an organization, we get the benefits. We get the opportunity to have success at the level that we anticipate that we're going to have success. That may be important for owners of businesses, uh, for the shareholders and businesses, uh, you know, even for the leaders and team members of the business. The other thing, though, is it allows us to squirrel away the acorns that we need for when the world does change around us and we need to have the opportunity to react, if we haven't squirreled away those acorns because we haven't executed effectively and delivered the results we expect, we're less prepared to deal with the turbulence that we're all going to face, whether that's big, huge macro issues like COVID that we're not in control of, or it's other things like The technology changes around us, our customers' expectations change, we get new competition. We need to be prepared for that. We need to manage our balance sheet. And then the third thing is if we're not executing well, we're also not probably engaging our team as effectively as we can. And if we're not engaging the team, then we create risk of not being able to keep great talent, not being able to recruit great talent. And it also means that every day that talent that we do recruit, select, train, expect to deliver stuff, there's something that's keeping them from being able to be as effective as they can be. So we sell ourselves completely short. So there's this huge ed- execution gap between strategy and the results we deliver. And then when we don't execute effectively effectively, I think about it in terms of three balance sheets, the balance sheet with our customers, the balance sheet with our team and the balance the financial balance sheet for the organization. We're not doing the things we need to do to preserve the, the strength of, of each of those balance sheets.
0: So, Sean, one of the things that resonated with me while you were just speaking was talking about storing up the acorns for tough times. Obviously, this is a a time when a lot of businesses are probably experiencing that. And for some, it may be too late. For others, it's, hey, we have a little bit of margin time to kick into high gear. I'd like to hear from you how you've seen people execute well during this time or maybe leading up to this time. And they're really reaping the benefits of doing that, whether it's you or other organizations that you've seen and worked with.
1: Let me let me start with the organizations that have done well leading up to this. They they share some universal principles, and again, I think Josh it re- revolves around that idea of the fidelity, the sanctity of those three balance sheets. What you typically see are organizations that, first of all, have identified a strategy, a positioning in the marketplace that allows them to be successful and then they've they've executed on that strategy in a way that drives that success which means that they're able to fund themselves they keep cash on the balance sheet that protect them when times get tough they've earned the commitment the engagement of their teams and you know and they do that by giving their teams the responsibility to act, the freedom to act, making people feel like they've got a significant role in the show, and then giving them the latitude to bring the best that they possibly can be. When you do those two things, then you essentially earn the right to do well with your customers, to execute on that strategy, that positioning in the marketplace. And let let me give you an example. There's a small boutique clothing store close to us, sells reasonably. I mean, it's a, it's a very traditional bricks and mortar retailer. That's, a, that's the kind of organization that is just completely threatened in this environment. They were threatened before COVID with retail shifting dramatically online over the last few years. And then in the midst of COVID with even more retail uh, shifting online, any brick-and-mortar retailer is in just a huge challenge, right? Well, there are actually two retailers close to us that both have forged such great relationships with their customers. They've got great teams that execute well on the the, the essential promise that they make to their customers. They've managed to weather through this well because they were prepared beforehand they had identified a great place in the marketplace they distinguished themselves from the cheaper online competition and they've managed to be successful in an environment that is just killing off retailers day after day so i think i think looking back those kind of things prepared them to be able to be successful the the other part of your question was how do you prepare going forward if if you have a brief you know, spell if there's a kind of a brief break in the storm. First of all, do you have a strategy that distinguishes you in the marketplace? Is there something unique and special that you do that adds value that your competition doesn't add? I think, you know, we talk about it in the book some. The the strategy of just not sucking less than your competition doesn't work. Uh, it might get you through a little bit but you can't just suck less you, you actually have to stand for something you have to mean something customers have to want to look at you for some reason what is it that what do you, what is it that you do that distinguishes you in terms of that at that point of customer choice they choose you versus somebody else so i think i think that's one thing that you have to think about and if you don't have a clear answer to that then trying to figure out what that clear answer is is incredibly critical and then once you have identified that, and, and that has to be things that create value from the customer's perspective. Uh, it's easy to get really myopic and think that you know what it is until your customers say that's what it is, that what, that's what makes you unique and special. It doesn't really count. But then once you've identified that positioning in the marketplace, you have to execute on the promise and, and, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it um, as we wander through this, but the, the things that we identified, those seven gears that we've identified that connect strategy to results, it's thinking through each of those gears and identifying which of these things can we do better that will better connect our strategy to the results that we want.
0: So you have developed this SXR framework, which stands for Strategy Execution Results. And you have, you have seven gears that you just talked about. Could you briefly describe these gears?
1: So we've spent a lot of time with organizations over the years. We, we spent a lot of time f- helping them formulate strategy. And over the last 10 years or so, we've probably spent even more time helping organizations drive their strategy to results, and so the seven gears are really a product of that work. So the good news is, it's all been tested. Every one of them been stress tested. So we we break the seven gears into to two bundles of gears. The first bundle we call the foundation gears or the environment gears, and they apply universally across organizations. And then the the second set of gears are the performance gears which are the ones that really I'd connect or align the performance of teams and individuals in the organization directly to the strategy. So let me start with the environment gears. Three environment gears. The first one is we call right, 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 which is the right people in the right roles with the right capabilities to be able to perform. Pretty clearly, I think everybody would agree you got to have the right people with the right capabilities. The magic is, what do you do to get to that point? How do you make sure that you are recruiting and selecting and developing the talent that you need for your value set? And that value set drives a culture that's aligned to your strategy. So, you know, a couple simple differences. You you could have an organization where teamwork is an absolute requirement for success, Or you might also have an organization or part of the organization where you want really strong independent contributors. That might be great scientists or it might be great independent contributing salespeople. You need to understand which of those you need to be able to execute your strategy, have a value set that recognizes that, and then be able to go recruit, select, and develop those people that fit the culture that you need to drive your strategy forward. The second gear is around uh, aligning the the organizational architecture to the strategy. What do I mean by organizational architecture? Well, that's the systems, the structures, the processes, and the culture to the strategy of the organization. For the system structures and processes are kind of the, the hardware And the culture is kind of the software that shapes people's behavior and performance. And so system structures and processes. That might be, how do we compensate people? Do we compensate people in a way that drives them toward the strategy? Or do we compensate people in a way that really encourages them to do something different than go execute our strategy? The organizational structure. Does our organizational structure put control and accountability in the same place? So, if I'm accountable for a certain set of results, do I have control or influence over the factors that it takes to deliver that performance, or is control in one place and accountability is in some place else? In which case, the performance isn't going to be as aligned. And we've already talked a little bit about culture, but culture really is the normative behavior that's acceptable inside the organization. What are the boundaries that I have to play within to really contribute? And we've all seen cultures where there's not good alignment or the culture so diffuse or we tolerate, we say, we really want people who are honest and full of integrity and trustworthy and responsible. And then we tolerate people who deliver good results but treat everybody else like crap, well, that tells us a lot about the culture. The third of the environment gears is simple principle around creating a culture of communication, which just really means people are connected up, down, sideways, and diagonally. They've got all the information that they need. People feel listened to. The organization does listen effectively. And it also means that when there need to be tough conversations, we've built a culture and an environment of trust, respect, integrity, where we can have tough conversations and people have the skills and abilities to be able to hold those tough conversations well so that people grow and develop and don't feel uh, dumped on.
0: So just to recap real quick, listeners, these are the foundational or environmental gears. The first is right, right, right. The second is align the architecture. And the third is culture of communication. Sean, what are the next four, the performance gears?
1: The performance gears really connect what people work on every day to the strategy of the organization. As John Cruck, the baseball player said 20 years ago, this isn't rocket surgery. These are things that you would expect would drive performance. It's just really interesting how misaligned these gears can be in an organization on a day-in and day-out basis. So the so the four performance gears, the first one is what we call SET, S-E-T, result-oriented goals. It's the idea that people, first of all, need to have goals. Secondly, they need to be result-oriented. First thing we find, and, and go back to that little exercise I talked about at the beginning of the, uh, of the show, playing five-on-five. Five. When we play five-on-five five five with people, as I mentioned, Typically, only two out of five match between what the manager thinks or the leader thinks needs to happen and what the performers need to happen. So when we set result-oriented goals, the first thing we do is make sure that there's alignment on what the expectations or goals are. Then secondly, putting them in result format versus activity format. So let's take a simple one, a salesperson. Often, a salesperson's goals will be defined in terms of the number of sales calls they make per week or month. Well, that's an activity. What I want to know is what results are they supposed to generate? Are they supposed to grow market share, volume, profitability? What result are they supposed to generate? Will they have to make sales calls? Absolutely. But when we define the goal in terms of the result... Now they're free to figure out what activities do they need to undertake that best get to the result, not necessarily just what we see in a lot of organizations, what organizations call cowpathing. I'm just out making my sales calls every week. I'm making the same rounds to the same customers that I always call on, and it's not changing the number of sales that I get. So result-oriented goals. And then the, the kind of the third part of the set result-oriented goals is the start-end time frame. Start and end, paint a picture of what the gap is. So let's take that same salesperson. This year, they sold 100,000 units. Next year, we want them to sell 150,000 units. Well, there's the start and end. And then the time frame is by the end of, let's say, 2021. The start and end identify what the size of the gap is, which helped me understand what kind of things do I need to do to be able to make my goals. And then timeframe creates some level of urgency around goals that really drive performance. So that's the first of the performance gears. The second performance gear is visible scorecards. And, and I'll, I'll use this analogy. If, if we're driving down the street and there's a soccer field and there are two separate games being played on the soccer field, one at one end, the other at the other end, and on one side of the field, the players are keeping score And on the other side of the field, the players are not keeping score in the two different games. How quickly do you think we would be able to tell which field they were keeping score on versus which field they weren't keeping score on? For most people, that answer is almost instantaneously. You'd be able to see the difference. Keeping score matters. And so we we encourage people to build visible scorecards so that people know how they're performing while the game is being played. If I know what the score is while the game's being played, then I've got the opportunity to change my performance to do something different to alter the outcome of the game while it's still being played. So that's the second performance gear. The third performance gear is identifying the critical performance drivers. We talked about that salesperson who's going to increase goals from 100,000 to 150,000 units by the end of 2021. Performance drivers are then identifying one of the critical things that salesperson needs to do to generate those kind of results. For a salesperson, that might be which customers I'm going to call on, who's in my territory that are the prime customers that might most want our products or services. I can really focus in on those critical activities or behaviors that are going to lead to the result that I want to achieve. What we found time and time again is there are probably two or three things that great performers do that separate them from good average or even mediocre performers. And so if we can try to identify what those two or three things are, those are the critical performance drivers we can help anybody perform better by emulating and then building the skills through purposeful or deliberate practice to execute those critical performance drivers well. And then the the last of the performance gears this should go as no surprise, but we call it defining the follow up follow through process. So, the rhythm by which people have to account for their performance back to their leaders or their managers. Generally, we think about follow up follow through in terms of accountability, being accountable, which is the glue that kind of holds everything together. We add another component to it before you get to the accountability piece. Which is to generate learning. When people are being accountable for their performance, the first thing we want to understand is what is it? We want to learn about what is it that drives performance, that connects performance and results to the goals and to the strategy of the organization. Or if they're coming up short, why are they coming up short? Maybe it's because we had the wrong goal. Maybe they don't see the scorecard the way we see the scorecard, or maybe the scorecard points them in the wrong direction. Are they executing on their performance drivers the way they're supposed to and not getting to the right result? Or are so many things grabbing for their attention that they can't actually execute their performance drivers? So we want to generate that learning first, or maybe it's even something in the performance architecture going all the way back to, aligning the organizational architecture. Maybe there's something in the architecture. Maybe they're doing the right thing, gets punished. Maybe sometimes we have a compensation system that rewards people for doing the wrong thing. So the first thing we want to do is we want to, we want to learn if there's a gap in performance, why is there a gap in performance? Let's go fix the things that are causing a performance gap. And then the second component is that thing just around accountability people ultimately need to be accountable for performance. If it's not some system or some other issue, people ultimately have to be accountable. And and when we create that accountability, and by the way, great performers love accountability. It's not a pejorative to them. Great performers love accountability. Poor performers may shirk from the accountability, but Anytime we see strategy getting executed really well and people delivering great performance, we also typically see pretty significant levels of personal accountability for delivering those results.
0: So listeners, that was a lot right there that we just covered. So if you want to dive deeper into it, be sure to pick up Sean's book, Get In Gear. But just to recap these performance gears real quick. First of all, set result-oriented goals. Set stands for starting point, end point, and time frame. Second of all, build visible scorecards. Third, identify the performance drivers. And fourth, follow up, follow through. So, Sean, real quick, before we finish up today, one thing that I think would be helpful for, for listeners is to get an idea of, as far as these foundation or environment gears go, which of these do you think is most important, just from what you've seen in your own work with other organizations? And then also for the performance gears, which of these really would help to light the business on fire in a positive way, getting it going and, and really making sure that they're getting the results that they want?
1: Sure, great question, Josh. So on the foundation gears, the environment gears, right people in the right roles with the right capabilities. Uh, th- that's really the starter. You have to have the people with the right skills that can help you execute your strategy. Everything else can be fixed if we've got the right people from a performance gear standpoint I always start in the same place we got to be aligned on the goals first and so the the idea of setting result oriented goals is absolutely the place to start
0: Sean is there anything from today's discussion that you would like to reiterate or something that we didn't have a chance to discuss from the book that you think would be really valuable for listeners before we finish up the interview today
1: sure just one simple thought one of the things that that really connected for me when we built the seven-gear framework because we we fumbled around, we stumbled around with with how do we best communicate these ideas to people in a way that sticks and enables people to be able to take action. One of the things that became really clear as we built the seven-gear construct is I don't have to be perfect on every gear every day to do a better job of driving strategy to results. I can fix one gear today. I don't have to fix all seven gears simultaneously. I can go fix one today. Take set result-oriented goals. Somebody could pick that up, do something with that, and by tomorrow, people might be better aligned to deliver better results just by fixing and aligning around what the goals ought to be. Then I can worry about next week, I can worry about something else. Or next month, I can work on a different gear, whichever one seems to be causing the most friction. So the idea, ideally, obviously, all seven gears would be aligned perfectly all of the time. That's probably not realistic. But I also don't have to fix all seven at once. I can fix one or two, and we'll be better tomorrow than we were last week.
0: Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can people go to find out more about you and the work that you're doing and to buy Get In Gear? Which, by the way, listeners, if you want an idea of how to apply this SXR framework, then you want to make sure that you get this book because not only does it discuss more of what we've talked about today, but it gives you some ideas of how to actually apply this in your workplace.
1: Yeah, so the the place to find us, the easiest way is our website, which is www.ici.com. It's short for Whitewater International Consulting. So WWICI.com.
0: All right, Sean, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a
1: pleasure. Josh, much enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
0: Once again, if you'd like to connect with Sean, you can go to his website at www.ici.com. And if you'd like to find other links to social media and things like that, you can look in the show notes below. Now, let's go ahead and get you today's three key takeaways. The first takeaway is Sean's five on five activity. That is, compare the leader's top five expectations or goals with team members' top five assumed expectations or goals. And he said, usually only two of these are the same. Make sure that you bring these into alignment so that the leader and the team are working towards the same goals the second key takeaway is gear number five and if you'd like to see all seven gears reiterated you can see these in the show notes but gear number five is keep visible scorecards people need to know how they're performing while the game is being played it's ludicrous to think that we wouldn't look at the score of a game until the end of the game but that is sometimes what we do when it comes to how we operate our teams and how we operate our businesses And finally, I appreciated that Sean said, don't try to fix all seven gears simultaneously. Focus on one today. Focus on whatever that key strategic area is for you and move forward from there. I really appreciated Sean's focus on execution. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know what I'm going to say now. If you want help getting into action as a leader, one thing I encourage you to do is download the leadership action list. This is 52 different actions you can be taking this year to improve as a leader. Not only do you get the free download, but you get a weekly reminder in your inbox of what that action is for the week. And, of course, you can go in whatever order you want, but we're working through these chronologically. So if you want to be a different leader at the end of 2021, a better leader at the end of 2021, I highly encourage you to go to LeadershipActionList.com and download the free Leadership Action List today. I look forward to sharing with you again once again next week. And until then, keep living and leading well.